Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. Striking multiple people on the subway. This individual is still on the loose. This person is dangerous. The male is a Frank R. James. You've seen the devastation. Get more aid in. The Ukrainians are, are still fighting for it. Highest inflation since 1982. That is toxic. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome in. Got a good program lined up for you. We're going to be joined uh, by Marjorie Eastman, who's running for the U.S. Senate in North Carolina. She is uh, number four on the list in the polling. Leading in the polling right now, of course, is uh, Ted Budd, followed by Pat McCory, followed by Mark Walker, followed by marjorie eastman you'll get to know her a little bit better at the end of this uh, program hopefully you'll know her better than you know her now uh the big news this afternoon this guy frank james 62 year old heavy set black man uh he was the suspect in the brooklyn subway attack he has now been arrested james was arrested in manhattan's east village neighborhood according to an anonymous law enforcement official who could not provide more information this guy was a I guess you'd label him as like a black nationalist. Uh, he has put online for going back to uh, 2019, even before that, uh, he had put numerous things online that uh, were violent, that were racist. And whether or not, I mean, they'll, he'll probably blame it on mental illness. Uh, what's really disappointing, though, is the FBI had this guy on, on their radar. And they interviewed him and said, well, he doesn't, he doesn't really fit the profile, so we're going to go ahead and clear him. That happened back in 2019. And apparently whatever has happened has been brewing, and uh, he uh, decided. The good news is, if there can possibly be any good news to the story, there's no casualties as of right now. A number of people were shot, but it looks like there's no life-threatening injuries. There's a couple of people in pretty rough shape, but it looks like they're going to pull through. So this guy was on the FBI watch list, and yet they lost him. Uh, And, uh, you know, there are some great people working for the FBI, but has the FBI lost their way? Are they spending too much time worrying about Donald Trump? And Russian dossiers instead of pursuing and keeping an eye on people like Frank James. Now, a number of conservative outlets, and I tend to agree with this, this does not fit the profile for the mainstream media. So this this story will disappear pretty quick. Uh, this is something that he, he just doesn't fit the, the narrative of uh what the liberals want they want a white male that they can label as a uh, racist and uh if if that was the case this would be a story that they would pound upon time after time after time after time it would be leading in the headlines it will make the headlines tonight and you'll hear no more about it um what's interesting too though is the fact that this guy james frank james frank r james posted all kinds of vile racist videos on youtube and they're down now 
But they were up for a long, long time. Until very recently, they were up. And yet you had guys like Ron Johnson from Wisconsin and Rand Paul from Kentucky. Their videos are taken down because they talk about uh, how they think COVID is a fraud. The whole Fauci thing is is, uh, packed with questionable statements. And so their stuff's taken down. Donald Trump's taken off Twitter. I mean, this social media stuff, it's it's laughable that they get out and say that they pull stuff off because they're very concerned with hate speech and uh, they want to make sure everything that's put out there is the truth. Uh, that is a real joke. It's an absolute joke. But uh, nonetheless, they caught the guy. That's the good news. Uh, New York Post is reporting it's obvious that um, Seattle is left-wing. It's infested with white folk. I mean, even Amazon and um, Starbucks, even they are talking about moving their offices out of downtown because of how crazy the crime is. Um, The city council of Seattle in December of 2021 took a hatchet to the police budget again. They did it back in uh, when the riots, just after the riots happened in 2020. So they they think the best thing to do is uh, defund the police even more. And again, it just happened just four months ago. It was April, yeah, four or five months ago, December of 2021. They reduced the police budget even more. So much so that... Now, sexual assaults are being referred to a uh, phone message. But, you know, some, if, you, if you had an issue like somebody gave you a, a check that bounced, wrote you a bad check, uh, there's a department you would call and leave a message. Well, that same treatment is now being given to the victims of rape in Seattle. Literally. Woman that's raped... You call, you leave a message. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, before, that would be like a five-alarm fire, right? A woman gets raped. Uh, I mean, you would have all kinds of police coming to the scene, EMS taking care of the woman. Immediately, they would take statements. They immediately would begin a manhunt. Now, nah, just call and leave a message. That's, and listen, are these not the same people? that say that Republicans have a war on women? Well, now, thanks to uh, the woke city council of Seattle, there is no police. Right now, if there's a sexual assault on a child, they will respond. But if it's an adult, sorry, ladies, or in this day and age, sorry, guys. Yeah, that's... uh, that's what the woke crowd has brought us. Do you believe in divine signs? I mean, if all of us have been in situations in life where, Lord, I've got to make this decision. I don't know what to do. I Oh, could you send me some sort of a sign? Could you just send me a sign? Interestingly, all of America yesterday got a sign. Yesterday, Joe Biden decided to make a speech in Iowa. 
Many speculated this was an indication that Joe was thinking about running for re-election in 2024. Perhaps, but early feedback seems negative. During a speech in Iowa yesterday, Joe unveiled yet another failed proposal to tackle rising gas prices and inflation. Of course, an inflation hit a 40-year high yesterday. Uh, it's, it's not transitory. Even the birds were not buying any of his nonsense. And there was a sign, there was a sign from heaven that fell upon Joe Biden. In the middle of Joe doling out his crap, a passing bird returned the favor, dropping a load on Joe's left lapel, missing Joe's forehead by mere inches. Next time, bird, take take more time. Get, get your trajectory right. <laughs> now, it's going to be interesting how Jen Psaki will twist this to order... Um, She's got to somehow, you know, to blame the bird on defecating when Joe, whose fault was it? She could blame it on Donald Trump. She could try to blame it on Putin. Uh, that might be it. That's that's the headline for this story from the mainstream media. Bird Putin's on Biden. <laughs> if you're watching online or watching on cable seven, yes, this is our new uh, national symbol, the eagle. <laughs> sitting on Joe Biden's head. (laughs) So last week, Governor Abbott announced that he would be busing those illegal immigrants that Biden is allowing into the country. This is cut one, uh, uh, Clark. Now, he said he was going to bus the illegal immigrants right to Biden's front door in Washington, D.C. Here's what Jen Psaki had to say about Governor Abbott's announcement last week. I'm not aware of what authority uh, the governor would be doing that under. I think it's pretty clear this is a publicity stunt. His own uh, office admits that a migrant would need to voluntarily uh, be transported um, and he can't compel them to because, again, enforcement of our country's immigration laws lies with the federal government, not a state. Washington, D.C.? Well, listen, I don't know, but I know that the governor of uh, Texas or any state does not have the legal authority to compel anyone to get on a bus. This is a publicity stunt. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, that publicity stunt uh, arrived today in Washington, D.C. with a busload of illegal immigrants. (laughs) Nice try, Jen. The bus pulled up approximately 8 a.m. local time, just blocks away from the U.S. Capitol. They came from the Del Rio sector of Texas after coming to the United States from Colombia, Cuba, Nicaragua, Venezuela. Upon the bus's arrival in D.C., Individuals disembarked one by one, except for family units. They got off together. They checked in with officials, had their wristbands uh, that they were wearing were cut off before they could told they were told they could go. Uh, you know, where did they go? Well, hey, go go knock on uh, go knock on the White House, see if they'll let you in. Abbott's plan is already working, however. The uh, agency told Fox News on Monday that many of the communities that originally reached out for support from the Rio Grande Valley to Terrell County say the federal government stopped dropping immigrants in their town since Abbott's announcement on April the 6th. Abbott insists that the federal government is failing to adequately address the situation. Biden recently announced that he would be rescinding Title 42, which was used to expel migrants 
swiftly due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And yet, and again, I we were talking to Greg Murphy yesterday. I was talking about the fact that Title 42, you know, that, that the name of that is being thrown around, but basically it's a CDC. It's a federal law that says when the CDC says um, we're going to stop immigration at the borders due to viruses that can spread well that was put in place i think it was back in uh, late 2020 uh that trump said okay we're going to implement title 42 nobody can come into the country because uh on the southern border no illegals can come across the border because among other things um they're going to spread covid well interestingly so uh, uh, biden now has said well at the end of may i think it's may 27th we're going to lift title 42 today just today the cdc extended the necessity to wear masks in airplanes and other forms of transportation because of covid now if if there's no issue there uh, in the in joe biden's mind and again the cdc is the one that basically weighs in on whether we lift title 42 and of course they're under uh, essentially they're under joe biden's watch but they're the ones that decide do we keep 42 uh title 42 in place or do we lift it well joe says we're going to lift it apparently the cdc since joe's their head honcho is in agreement with that but at the same time today they said you got to continue to wear masks on airlines the hypocrisy and the double standard. If they didn't have a double standard, there would be no standards at all. Hey, we're going to take a time out. Stay with us. When we come back, we're going to introduce you to Marjorie Eastman. More news and views coming right up. Raising the alert of Russian nuclear forces is a bone-chilling development. With Europe on the brink. We have seen the Russians hit airfields. And the horrors of war shock the world. We've already called a range of these actions we've seen war crimes. Keeping informed and up-to-date is more important than ever. The prospect of nuclear conflict anytime, once unthinkable anywhere, is now back within the realm of possibility. Eastern Carolina's place to talk about everything. Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back into News and Views. Today is uh, April the 13th, Thomas Jefferson Day. He was the third president of the United States, held office from 1801 to 1809. He was also the guy that put together the Louisiana Purchase. What would that cost today? Louisiana Purchase was um, $15 million, and uh, it covered 828,000 square miles. $18 a square mile. Not bad, Thomas. Taking a quick look at your weather forecast. Partly cloudy this evening. More clouds overnight. A low near 65. Cloudy tomorrow. Stray showers possible. High of 86. Tomorrow night, rain likely. A 90% chance of rain. A low of 53 tomorrow night. Some thunderstorms in there. Friday cools off a little bit, but should be very nice. A high of 73 with uh, some pretty nice sunny skies. Warmer weather is right around the corner. It's here. What a better way to enjoy the outdoors with family and friends than being greenside or poolside. Voted best golf course in Greenville three years in a row. Ironwood Golf and Country Club is waiving all initiation fees. Wants you to join in the fun and become a member today. 
Not a golfer? Ironwood's new social membership includes access to the competition-sized swimming pool, clay service tennis courts, and member-only full-service restaurant. For more information, contact membership director Jenna Doyle. Her number is 252-752-4653. Marjorie Eastman is a veteran who has served two combat tours. She's a military spouse and a mom, and Marjorie is running for the United States Senate because she says we're in desperate need of frontline leadership in Washington, D.C. for North Carolina. She's on the phone with us right now. Marjorie, welcome to News and Views. Hey, thank you. Great to be with you. Listen, I want to tell you, I admire anyone who puts themselves out there and runs for public office. It's not easy. You make yourself vulnerable. You open up your family to undeserved attacks and criticism. And uh, let me say, I further greatly appreciate non-career politicians running for office. I think that's how our founding fathers would have wanted it, a citizenry-run legislature and executive branch. So let me start by saying that, and congratulations to you on taking that step. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. And and you're exactly right. Um, I am the political outsider in this race. Uh, but as you described, I've been in combat twice. I've been shot at. I am not afraid of this. And, you know, especially, you know, what you go through as a military spouse. And, you know, I had to say goodbye to my husband many, many times. He did 17 combat tours. Wow. And so, you know, and, and you just, you kind of bring it back to here at home when we had our son. My son beat cancer at six months old. So when you have perspective like that in life, where you've been seasoned and been through a few things, you know, that's why this is so important. This race is something. It doesn't come down to the four top candidates. It's two choices. You can pick one of those politicians or you can pick the only veteran, me. You can pick the outsider and the fresh voice that just wants to serve and believes in term limits. Well, it sounds like you have been seasoned well. And by the way, thank you for your service as well as your husband's service for our country. But go a Thank little you. deeper. Uh, a lot of our listeners have heard of you, but they don't know a lot about you. Who, who's Marjorie Eastman? Give us a quick bio. And why did you decide to jump into this U.S. Senate race? Well, you know, for me, my background is service in uniform in this country. When I came home, I went to business school, and I've been helping veterans and their families grow and scale small businesses. So my, my background is really about the security of our country and about the economy. And my, you know, what makes me different from the other candidates, too, is I have a front row seat to education. I have a little boy in school. He climbs onto a school bus every day. So I see what's going on with our education system. And as a parent, I want to make sure that parents have a voice. And, you know, why I got into this race, I'm always going to be a soldier at heart. So I want to run towards the fight. And the fight is the Senate. That's where our country is deadlocked right now, 50-50. And the North Carolina race is going to tip it. So that is just so important. And my time in the military, just that was the influence for all of this because I got into this race right after the fall of Afghanistan. It was the fall of Afghanistan that was that straw that broke the camel's back for me. Why um, do you think... There is uh, so many people that um, have gotten into this race. You are you are you are in the top four, but I think there's how many is there total? Is like eight, eight or nine people? <laughs> Fourteen. Fourteen. No, I'm sorry, I'm 14. not. I'm not even close. 
I know. Isn't that wild? I mean, it's, you're right. 14. Why so many people, do you think? I mean, there's obviously a lot of motivation. What do you think it is? Oh, well, we're all right there. We've just we've been through the last couple of years of this pandemic, and it's just crisis after crisis. And I think we're all just really tired of being told what to do, uh, of just people not doing the right thing, of bad decisions being made, and just the absolute failure in leadership across the board, whether it's decisions like Afghanistan to now you see what's going on in Ukraine. I mean, right here at home, we are. this all comes home to us and what we're paying for groceries and gas and, and all of this. I mean, it comes down to that what you said at the beginning of your show. The founding fathers always wanted people that just went to serve in government right. and then they came home. The, the, the founders didn't want career politicians. And so for the top four candidates, the three guys I'm running against, they are career politicians. They're all just looking for a promotion. And I would just say, look, you're not going to get different results if you don't send different people. And we need to start. We need to go forward. What is your, I mean, you've got a unique perspective being a veteran. Uh, is your, by the way, is your husband still uh, serving or is he uh, retired uh, from, from the military? He's right. He's retired. Okay. Okay. I'm sure both of you have had uh, discussions over the dinner table or, or as, as you're uh, just conversing after you've put your son to bed at night. Um, the, the situation in Ukraine, I, I would love to hear your perspective. What do you think is going to happen in terms of the United States involvement? And, and granted, it would probably be a little bit of a different picture if we had somebody else in the White House. But uh, what do you think is going to happen? What do you think should happen? Oh, I got to tell you, this is a great question. And for me, I mean, we just activated, what, over 5,000 troops out of Fort Bragg to mm-hmm. go to our NATO partner countries over there. Right. Well, let me say this. I was one of those troops that was activated out of Fort Bragg back in 03. So I get this. And, you know, from the ground, talk about that boots on the ground wisdom. But this is the point. This never should have happened. The weakness that the world has seen from the Biden administration, and it all was, it can go right back to that disastrous fall of Afghanistan, which is very personal to me because I served as a commander on the ground in Afghanistan. And that reckless withdrawal was avoidable. And, you know, you fast forward to what's going on in Ukraine. This is what we should be doing. We should absolutely be supporting those that are fighting for freedom. We should always stand on the side of people who fight for freedom. And so I've said it many times. I mean, we gave Mujahideen stingers in the 1980s to fight the Russians. I mean, we should absolutely be helping the people in Ukraine fight for their freedom and giving them the military assistance they need. But, you know, what's, what's happened, though, is that deterrence doesn't work after the fact. And all these sanctions that we're doing now, it's putting a squeeze on Russia. But the problem is with Putin, he's a thug and he has no off-ramp. So this is a very tenuous situation. And I think we need to be prepared for more cyber attacks because Russia's going to lash out at us for how we are assisting and how the world is. We need to be prepared for the prices of food and commodities and all those different things to keep going up because Ukraine is the bed basket, bed, bed, bread basket, right. if I can say that, of Europe. And they are not harvesting their fields. They're not, you know, they're not planting. They're, I mean, we are going to see a ripple effect of, of, of the impact of this for many months to come. So Americans right now, 
we need to be paying attention to this because our security is always going to affect our economy and right here at home and how we're going to be suffering. As you look at the military uh, armament, there was a story out today just talking about how you know some of these Stinger missiles and Javelin missiles are just taking out tank after tank after tank. Are the Russians behind the curve? I mean, you know, they're supposed to be the superpower, but it, it, it really hasn't come off like uh, I think Putin thought it would or even our military thought it would. Well, I, th- that's definitely a leading question, and I will, I will high-five you on that one. I mean, seriously, the Russians, what we know is going on, I mean, literally, it's a conscript army. It's not a professional army like ours by any way. And you have a whole bunch of, like, 19-year-olds that just were on the couch playing video games, you know, that got right. activated and yanked up. I mean, and then, you know, so no, they're not at the same caliber, but in the same breath, they are absolutely performing war crimes right now. And that is what everybody is sick about, seeing women and children and their women and children hospitals attacked. I mean, the atrocities we've seen as they, as they pulled out of different towns and cities absolutely no rules of engagement i mean no no respect and dignity for geneva conventions and so we have to recognize what we're fighting and this is evil are are you surprised at all that there hasn't been any mistakes made accidental you know missiles landing in one of the nato allies or anything like that i i I mean it's so absolutely yeah (laughs) absolutely i mean we should all be very we should be watching this every day, but this is the thing. Every American, I'm right there with you. We all have crisis fatigue. It's one thing after another over the last couple of years. And so, I mean, it's just, you kind of get to a point where you're like, you can't watch the news tonight. You just need a break. Right. But the situation in the world, it, it is not good. And I mean, that's so much of the heart of why I want to serve again. My first moment in life where, where I said I want to I help in a big way that was 9-11. When we were attacked on 9-11, I joined the military. You fast forward 20 years to all these crises and that fall of, of, in Afghanistan, that was my second 9-11 of realizing I need to help. And we have to have serious people that want to make sure we get our country back on the rails, we are safe and secure and moving forward. You know, you were right. Uh, in fact, I was watching one of the news programs last night, and someone was making a comment, and it's true. Literally every day since Joe Biden has taken office, I mean, we, we had four years under Trump where we would get encouraging news, and we would say, hey, we're getting energy independent. We're seeing yeah. prices mm-hmm. going the right way. Since Joe Biden has taken office literally every day, there is something that you roll your eyes at or you grit your teeth at because it's it's not good news. It's just taking the country terribly in the wrong direction. It absolutely is. And that's why this Senate race is so important. If you're listening right now, May 17th, if, if we don't show up on May 17th and send the right person in the primary, we are not going to beat Sherry Beasley in November. Sherry Beasley is who we're running against, um, and I'm going to tell you, she is a formidable candidate, and we have to beat her, and we can't be arrogant to say, oh, it's going to be a red wave because Biden's so awful. Well, let's, I mean, look, you have to have a good candidate. Senator Tillis, when he ran in 2020, he, he won by 1.8%. So that's why we have to send the right person 
through the primary, and I want to earn the vote from all of your listeners, because if we send a politician through, we are in we're in big trouble. Well, let me ask you a question. Let's assume you win. Okay, one of the first things you will do, one of your first jobs, will be to vote for the Senate Majority Leader. Assuming the Republicans take the Senate, which seems like it's a pretty good possibility, would you vote for Mitch McConnell? I was just asked that question earlier today. So, uh, so today I was in Charlotte at a at a at a panel with Macquarie Walker and Bud and myself, and we were all asked that question. And this is the most important thing. Number one, I want to see who's running because what goes on some of these shenanigans with some of the old party bosses or this or that. Like sometimes you only get one person that'll even vote, and then you got to write somebody else in because you don't want that person. I mean, so I want to see who's running. Um, and that is very important to me because I got to tell you, I think we have phenomenal senators that, that could be doing a great job. And one of my favorite senators is Senator Joni Ernst. She's a combat veteran like myself. She is a wonderful conservative leader and fighter for our values. And she's, she's just a great mentor. And I'm just I'm so grateful to have her support. Well, the, uh, well, I'll say this. There are a lot of things that frustrate me about Mitch McConnell, but I think his greatest legacy is going to be the judicial appointments that he saw through under Trump and yes. uh, just how he has handled all of that, uh, not only in the Supreme Court, but all these other uh, federal courts. Now, yes. again, let's assume you win. You would be the junior senator from North Carolina, which means That's you right. would be serving along with Tom Tillis. Uh, what kind of job do you think uh, Senator Tillis has done? Well, have you ever heard of like the instance where like you have an older dog in the family that's getting older and then you bring a puppy in and Mm -hmm. it kind of like extends the life of the older dog and gives them more juice, you know? (laughs) I mean, (laughs) count me as the puppy that the family just got, right? Okay. I'm going to grab arms with Senator Tillett and I'm going to say, let's work. Let's do this. We have work to do. And and I am going to work hard every single day because that's what you get when you get a veteran as well. And do you know this? The last time we had a veteran as a U.S. senator was Jesse Helms. Hmm. I mean, it is time to bring that boots on the ground wisdom to the U.S. Senate, someone who focuses on the mission and getting the job done. And that's what you're going to get from me. In closing, looking back on American history, what figure from our political past of American history do you most admire? Oh, this is so easy. <laughs> okay, well, I have a couple handful. I, I really do have several. I, I really like George Washington. But I got to tell you, Ronald Reagan, it just I think it's because it's just been so much closer in, in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he's exactly what we need today. We need someone that's going to focus on bringing us together, focus on getting our country on a mission and moving forward, and reminding Americans that we have a responsibility. One of my favorite quotes that he said was, you know, the world follows America into tomorrow. Well, I say this, I believe the country follows North Carolina into tomorrow. We need to be the leader for our, for our nation right now, and that's why we need, we need to send leaders to the U.S. Senate, not politicians. Marjorie Eastman at MarjorieEastman.com. By the way, where's where's your home base? What what part of North Carolina are you from? Oh, it's like my car these days. I mean, <laughs> we're all over the state. Um, 
Well, I am from Cary. So okay. A little, it's a little teeny suburb. You've probably heard of it. Uh, no. I've got a daughter that lives there, in fact. Oh, good. Good, good. Well, listen, Marjorie, congratulations again on running. And regardless of the outcome, I hope uh, you you hang in there and continue in the fight. Thank you to you and your husband for uh, your service. And uh, it's it's fun to get to know you and uh, get your your family story. I'm happy for you that your son is a, a cancer survivor. And uh, Thank thanks for thanks for loving America so much that you would uh, be vulnerable enough to put yourself out there. We do appreciate it. No, well, I'm old-fashioned. I don't think you can love America too much. So it's time. Let's do this. Okay. Look forward to talking to you again. Marjorie Eastman, MarjorieEastman.com. Stay with us. More news and views coming up. This is your Drive at Five, an ENC with Tom Lamprecht. Welcome back to News and Views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in. A story breaking out of Fox News. A federal judge presiding over the case of former Clinton campaign lawyer Michael Sussman. He has denied his request, Sussman's request, to dismiss the case brought against him by John Durham, the special counsel ordering that the trial go forward as planned next month. On May the 16th, the trial will take place. Sussman in February filed a motion to dismiss the case against him. He said he was charged with making false statements to a federal agent and has pleaded not guilty. Today, U.S. District Court Christopher Cooper outlined the charges against Sussman brought by the Durham-impaneled grand jury last year. Cooper detailed Durham's indictment, which alleges that Sussman told then-FBI General Counsel James Baker in September of 2016, less than two months before the 2016 presidential election, that he was not doing any work for any client when he requested and held a meeting in which he presented purported data and white papers that allegedly demonstrated a covert communications channel between the Trump Organization and Alpha Bank, which had ties to the Kremlin. Now, if you remember, we talked about this, I think it was last week or the week before, Sussman has come out and said, I was just being a patriotic American. I didn't have a dog in the fight. I was just trying to help the FBI do their job because I'm a patriotic American. Um, Christopher Cooper, the judge, basically said, eh, I don't think so. Uh, specifically, Sussman allegedly told Baker that he was not attending the meeting on behalf of any client. Um, the truth of the matter is he had two specific clients, the Hillary Clinton presidential campaign, also a technology industry executive named Rodney Joffe, who was also working with the Clinton campaign. The FBI opened an investigation on the information that Sussman provided. And again, our lead story about this guy who's shooting up the subway in New York, the FBI is chasing down stories like Sussman's out and out lie i mean the guy ought to be charged criminally not only for lying but he ought to be charged the cost how many millions of dollars were spent chasing down this false story the guy ought to be held liable for it cooper today wrote the sussman's sole argument for dismissal of his case is that quote even taking the allegations in the indictment as true 
Sussman says his purported misrepresentation to Baker was immaterial as a matter of law and therefore cannot support a conviction under USC 1001, making false statements to a federal agent. The court will deny the motion, Cooper wrote, noting that the standard for materially under U.S. code is, quote, whether the statement has a natural tendency to influence or is capable of influencing either a discrete decision or any other function of the government agency to which it is addressed. Cooper explains that Sussman argued that his alleged statement to Baker that he was not at the meeting on behalf of a client could have possibly influenced what was, in his view, the only discrete decision before the Bureau at the time whether to initiate an investigation into the Trump campaign asserted communication with the Russian bank. Cooper says that Sussman largely ignores the second part of the test, whether the statement could influence any other function of the agency. Obviously, it did. And obviously, Sussman, who we now know was working for the Hillary Clinton campaign, he wouldn't have made this contact with Baker otherwise. This this load of crap that he was in there as a patriotic American trying to help the FBI is laughable. Yeah, I, I hope... Uh, I hope he, and remember, this guy has ties to Mark Ayalis, who uh, is all about stealing elections. I mean, he was the guy that was down here in North Carolina over there talking to the state board of elections. Oh, you need to change the rules. We don't care whether the early election voting's already started or not. You need to change the rules. I, yeah, this guy is, um, okay, I can't, I can't say for sure that he is guilty but boy, it sure ain't looking good. See if uh, Sussman has to increase his uh, Ambien prescription. Hey, we got to take another time out. Stay with us when we get back. An encouraging story from John Hood about North Carolina. We're hanging in there and uh, things are looking better. I'll tell you why when we get back. News and views. He's kind of a diva. He's absolutely fascinating. Ultimate gentleman spy. Irresistible to women, deadly to his enemies, a legend in his own time. You won't believe what he's going to say next on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Here's Tom Lemprecht. Encouraging uh, article from John Hood this morning in the uh, Carolina Journal. While most states have failed to recover from the COVID crisis in 2020, North Carolina is doing a pretty good job of it. From 2020, uh, February 2020 to February 2022, North Carolina experienced an employment increase of 1.5%, raising uh, a net gain of uh, 67,600 jobs. That's six in the job growth for all states. Only 10 other states are in positive territory over the past two years. Utah, 5.1%, Idaho, 5.1%, Montana, 3.1%, Texas, 1.7%. Uh, Florida, 1.7. Arizona, 1.3. Georgia, 1.2. Tennessee, 1.2. Arkansas, 0.9. Colorado barely makes it a 0.3. And again, we're at 1.5%. According to the U.S. Bureau of Economic Analysis, North Carolina's real GDP has a growth by an annualized average of uh, 1.7% since the start of 2020, faster than the Southeast at 1.1%. 
and the nation as a whole at 0.8%. Now, what's interesting about this is John Hood points out a couple of reasons why. Uh, For one thing, we had a state legislature that made sure our rainy day fund was solid. Uh, we're not overly dependent on the tourist industry. We have a tourist industry, but it's it's not. We, we don't so depend on it that when that went belly up for a lot of states, it really took like states like Florida and North Carolina, uh, South Carolina, it hit them a much harder than it hit us because we're not totally dependent on uh, the tourist industry. Although the eastern part of North Carolina certainly is. But you know, here's another reason that uh, all these states did well, with the exception of Colorado, of all the states I just mentioned, they are either run by a Republican governor or the state legislature is run by Republicans. And so they're going to be pro-business. They're going to be, and listen, another reason John Hood points out, our uh, state legislature did much in way in the way of uh, making sure our tax code was inviting to bring new businesses in. I mean, we had a major green light up saying, "Hey, come do business in North Carolina," and you know what? It's working. Uh, and uh, despite the fact that uh, Cooper has been dragging his feet in terms of you know letting go of his lockdown, the Barney Fife of governors here in North Carolina. Um, nonetheless, uh, we have been seeing a pretty good comeback. Can you imagine how good it would have been had we had a Republican governor in there? Just saying. Washington Examiner is reporting that Patrice Kohlers, the Black Lives Matter co-founder, who has uh, cashed out millions and millions and millions of dollars and bought all kinds of real estate with money that was donated to the quote nonprofit, uh, she has come out and and by the way, there's um, a, a little matter of sixty million dollars that no one at the Black Lives Matter global um, organization appears to uh, know what happened to it. Sixty million dollars. Uh, Patrice Kohlers has said that she gets triggered when anyone mentions the IRS form nine ninety. The form charities must complete that reveals donors and sources of money. Quote, I actually did not know what 990s were before all this happened. And now they trigger me. I guess so. When you're looking at messing with the IRS and tax fraud, it ought to trigger you because you might end up in the clink. Then you're really going to be triggered. Unbelievable. And she says it like, We need to change these things so I don't have to fill out these forms because they trigger me. I'm a victim. Yeah, you're going to be a victim. (laughs) I hope you have a good lawyer. And thanks uh, for being with us. Our thanks to Marjorie Eastman. We'll do it again tomorrow. See you then. Bye-bye, everybody. All right, all right, all right.